It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. As Lenny Hart just said, we're here to talk about UFC on ESPN+. Plus. What was it? It was some number or other. It's UFC Fight Night 166. 3,611,000. That sounds about right. Uh, Lenny Hartman, I'm still not used to it. It's still so damn exciting to hear her intro us, Nick. I don't know about you, but she uh, she, she raises my energy level. <laughs> it's awesome, man. I love it. Never gets old. No, sir. No, definitely not two episodes in. It's not getting old. And I expect that intro. <laughs> I expect that intro to last us a while. Uh, how do you feel about the... Uh, how do you feel about the new beat, Nick? I dig it, man. You're into it. Good. We're not going to mention what it sounds like, right? We're just going to act like that's not a thing. I don't even know what you're talking about. I, 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 I'm not sure what I'm talking about either in that case. So uh, a pretty good overall card. There were some boring moments for sure for the UFC Fight Night this past weekend. where Wait, Curtis... I, think it was 160... I think it was UFC Fight Night 166. Um, I'm not sure what ESPN plus number it was. I'm not interested in that goddamn ESPN number anymore, Nick. Uh, Blades versus Dos Santos, man. Blades looked pretty friggin' awesome. We expected it. What did you think of that fight? Um, I thought it was interesting. It's listen. I thought that JDS has been heavyweight's not the deepest division. No. And I thought that that JDS had has felt you know he fell off a level um several years ago, like a lot of years ago. And he's had moments, but, you know, uh, schooling Ben Rothwell with your striking uh, is not the same as, you know, is, um, it does not necessarily mean that you can strike successfully with Stipe Miocic or uh, Francis Ngannou or apparently uh, Curtis Blades. Um, you know, so JDS is cer- certainly diminished and has been for quite some time. But that said... Curtis Blades, uh, he, he had a clear plan A, terrific, a terrific athlete. And I thought his entries were a little rushed. I didn't feel like he was setting them up great. But over the first six minutes of the fight, he could not take JDS, who, who aside from Kane, has been generally known for very good takedown defense. He couldn't get JDS down. So he was stuck in JDS's world. And in that world, he landed a hellacious right hand. It was a right hand, right? Yes, sir. I believe so. Hellacious right hand. It reminded its trajectory um, and the ferocity with which it landed reminded me a lot of the uh, the punch that Fedor put on Rampage Jackson. It just was like full, like lots of power, full extension, and just punching through the side of a guy's face. Yeah. And to his credit, JDS you know stood up, but he was he was shaken, he was stirred, and he could not. Uh, he he could not um, get his act together again, and so the fight was fairly, I think, stopped. But you know, it was one of those um, against the against the high level gatekeeper. Um, you will face some adversity fights. So, do I think he can beat uh, Miocic or Ngannou or Cormier? I don't think so, but I feel pretty comfortable saying he's the number four heavyweight in the UFC. I actually, I'm a big believer in Curtis Blades. I think if you give him like a superstar heavyweight chin, like a Mark Hunt in his prime chin, I think this guy is an untouchable champion for a long time to come. But unfortunately, 
His two losses have been by TKO and then knockout to Francis Ngannou. He's been hurt in several fights, and that's really his only weakness that I've seen, man. Technique-wise, he's overall very solid. I thought that he chose the wrong game plan against his last loss against Francis Ngannou, where he was just constantly giving Francis Ngannou something to counter, which is really the best way to ensure Francis Ngannou win. He couldn't help halting his pressure. And he was better about it this time, I thought. He was very cautious about giving Junior Dos Santos something to counter. Uh, and when he did get Junior on the feet, it was usually while Junior was throwing. In fact, he got that knockout while Junior Dos Santos was throwing that right uppercut that he's known for. And he clearly game planned for it. Curtis uh, did. And he threw that overhand right and keeping his head off the center line to avoid that uh, uppercut of Dos Santos. And he was able to land that clean shot. On top of the fact that Curtis Blades put a lot into that punch, uh, it seems to me like Dos Santos was actually going into the punch himself, adding a lot more power. He to was, it. he was, and he wasn't setting up his uppercuts. And his, I mean, yeah, JDS, you, you know, ten years ago or eight, eight years ago, I guess JDS's boxing just looked a lot crisper, a lot more elite um, than it than it does now. I feel like he gets a little, he seems a little haymaker happy. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, for heavyweight, he's probably about as technical as it gets overall. But I, I do think there's several factors here. One is that JDS, I mean, all of his losses except for one of his Cain Velasquez losses were by knockout. So at this point, he's got Cain in the third fight, Alistair Overeem, Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades, all these guys hold first or, well, anywhere from first to fifth round knockouts over JDS. So... You know, it's not looking good for him in the near future. It also seems like in his last two knockout losses to Ngannou and Blades, he kind of gave in a little bit. He took a big shot, and it's not that he was unconscious. It's that he just kind of covered up and accepted defeat. And obviously, I don't truly know how hurt he is in those situations, but when you see one guy doing that repeatedly, and then he doesn't look too disoriented afterward, you tend to think that he probably just decided it's, it's a done deal. Uh, I don't necessarily need to fight through this tough moment. And at his age, it's understandable given the miles on him. But I did think it was interesting that JDS's takedown defense stood up, and he didn't take a single takedown from Curtis Blades in this fight. And you tend to think, I think a lot of prognosticators, if you told them uh, there's no way Blades can take down JDS, who wins? I think a lot of people would pick JDS in that matchup. But Blades is showing that he's improving in strides. He's an incredibly athletic man. Uh, he's truly dynamic heavyweight. And I think, again, I, I think two of the three people that you mentioned, I think anybody but Francis Ngannou, has a good chance of losing to Curtis Blades. I think Curtis is something really special. Uh, yeah, I think I can't see. I mean, Stipe Miocic has really good takedown defense, and he's got he, he's got power. I just I don't think Blades can beat. I think Stipe is a real bad matchup for him. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but well, let's see. I'm looking at Stipe's recent history, and to your point, yeah, he's only given up one takedown in his last seven or eight fights, and that was to Daniel Cormier of all people. But I'll be honest with you, uh, not only is Curtis much more athletic at heavyweight, specifically at heavyweight, not only is he more dynamic, more explosive, have, have a better gas tank than Daniel Cormier, he's way younger, man. Um, he's He's got the kind of takedown percentages that nobody in heavyweight history has. He's prolific at this weight division when it comes to takedown. So I wouldn't be shocked if he could take down Stipe, considering Stipe was just taken down in his last fight. But you're right, Stipe has very good takedown defense, and if Stipe lands a clean few right hands, that'll probably be it. But Francis Ngannou knocking you out is not necessarily a sign that your chin sucks. I just, I'm concerned that he's been hurt a few times outside of that. 
It's yeah, it's not a sign that your chin sucks uh, for sure. And I, you know, maybe I would pick Blades over Cormier. I don't know. The fact of the matter is, it's it's kind of irrelevant because Cormier's got one fight left. Yeah, and it ain't going to be against. I don't. I and we'll we'll talk about this, but I seriously doubt it's going to be against Curtis Blades. If I'm if I'm Dan, Daniel Cormier, I don't. You know, no thanks. No, no way. <laughs> I I definitely agree with you. What do you see for him in the near future? If you're if if you say that maybe he shouldn't get a title shot next, and I think that's fair given where Francis Ngannou is. How would you match him up? Well, I mean, if Rosenstrike beats Ngannou, you give him Rosenstrike. I think that's clear. If Ngannou wins that fight, it gets a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, I would probably give him. I mean, who know, it's a, the problem is we don't know how long Stipe's on the shelf. We don't know if anyone's going to move up to heavyweight. It gets real shallow after after five and five or six. Let's go into the the rankings. I was very foolish today. I did not pull up uh, the rankings before we got going. I actually have so them give, in front of me, and of course you do because you're prepared because you are ready for anything, Stan Dryev. That's very kind of you to say, Nick. But I swear to God, I just googled it seconds ago. Seconds ago, Nikolai. Call it like <laughs> I see it, man. Fair enough, and I do appreciate that. So yeah, we got DC at number one under obviously the champion and Stipe Miocic. Nganu being the obvious number two. If you ask me, Nganu deserves to be ranked above DC, but DC does hold that one win over Steve Miocic in recent heavyweight history. Curtis Blades is ranked right after that. Curtis Blades has beat number four, Junior Dos Santos. Um, it does seem like it's Jarzinho Rosenstruck. I mean, I guess maybe you could feed him Derek Lewis if Derek isn't doing anything else in the near future. But you're right. Walt Harris, Alistair Overeem, Alexander Volkov. I think Volkov... You know, maybe has some potential for top five material. I doubt it. Walt Harris, though, if he really does have his stuff together, if he recovers from whatever it is that's going on at home right now, and I know it's a tough time for his family, um, I think he's somebody that he can be a top five guy if he has the right training camp and really is putting his shit together. He's a powerful athletic dude. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, uh, Walt Harris and Derek Lewis are both interesting. Rosenstrike's more interesting. Agreed. Um, but we'll we'll see. He could it could be that beating JDS was enough, and if Cormier and Stipe get in there, you know, in the next three or four months, they just hold him back for that. Because um, there's not there's not a lot of upside in putting yourself in there against Olianik or Ivanov. You know, big big tough dudes that can take a lot of punishment could get a sneaky sub on you. I mean, probably not, but it's possible. You're not gonna like he already beat up Overeem. Yeah. Um, I think he. I I don't. Volk, I mean, he's a terrible matchup for Volkov. I think Curtis Blades, you know, he would run, run roughshod over him for sure. Yeah, I really, I really think that he that he would. You got a guy that tall. I think, I think Blades would just get down, flip him, dump him on his back, and that would be, you know, it'd be ugly. I will say one thing that you alluded to. You spoke about the potential for Rosenstrike if he can take out Francis Ngannou. I think. Of all the heavyweights in the top 10, I think Rosenstrike probably has the highest chance. As far as we can tell, he's got a solid, solid chin. And he hits incredibly hard. When he does land clean, he's finished every UFC opponent thus far. So I think he's probably got the higher chance of anyone to beat Francis Ngannou with that combination of, uh, of advantages. If Francis Ngannou doesn't go for takedowns, I think it's probably a 65-35 fight, which is more credit, I think, than I would give anyone else against uh, Ngannou. And... If I was anyone else in the top five of the heavyweight division, I would be praying that Rosenstruck can take out Nganu because a lot of these guys can handle Rosenstruck. I think uh, a guy like Cormier would have a good shot against Rosenstruck, even though he probably wouldn't take that fight at this point in his career. Curtis Blades, I think, yeah. would destroy Rosenstruck. Obviously, he could take a clean shot and it could be over, but 
Curtis Blades is in a different league for Rosenstruck, who doesn't really have a great ground game or great wrestling defense. So if I was Curtis Blades, I'd be praying that Rosenstruck can pull off that win because it essentially erases your recent loss to Ngannou in a way. You've picked up four wins since then. And if you can beat Rosenstruck, then you've got an argument to clearly go straight for the title shot, uh, especially with Francis Ngannou coming off of a loss. Yeah, the guy we're going to see up there alongside these guys, I think, is Cyril Gain. Um, I don't know who he's going to climb up, climb over on his way up, but he's two, vic- he's two victories away from being in that mix. Yeah, I hope the UFC takes their time with him, and they have been thus far. They actually just booked him against Shamil Abdurahimov, who just got thrashed by Curtis Blades. So you can kind of see where they're placing him there. They're giving him a step up, which I think is totally fair. A top, I think, 9 or 10 opponent. Shamil Abdurahimov is, yeah. And I would actually put Ivanov, uh, Ivanov ahead of Abdur, uh, uh, Abdur, yeah. Shamil. I would too. <laughs> uh, I definitely would too. Is he not currently racked ahead of him? He's not currently. Uh, Ivanov and Olianik are both below him, which seems strange to me based on the level of competition and some of their signature victories. I agree, but it's weird because the MMA, the journalists that get to decide on these rankings are predominantly not guys and girls that regularly cover MMA. Uh, I, I think a lot of the real journalists in MMA decided they can't collect a check from the UFC, so they kind of opted out of this ranking thing. So yeah, it's basically a popularity contest. We do have a co-main event, Nick, that you and I really were confident that Rafael Dos Anjos... Everybody got this one wrong, man. Nobody got this one right. Yeah, Dos Anjos was believed to have every edge over Chiesa that he would want. But Chiesa seems to really be coming into his own at 170. He got those wins over the aging Carlos Condit and Diego Sanchez. And I think a lot of people discounted that, including me, discounted I those, did. Yeah. Uh, those wins, despite the fact that, you know, Diego Sanchez is still a tough guy to some extent. I th- actually think I may have picked Diego Sanchez over Chiesa. I'm going to start to think twice before uh, doing that. I'm going to take a more serious look at him. Look, Rafael Dos Santos has an issue that Leon Edwards pointed out, is that he has trouble coming back once a fight has gone against him. This was another example of that, man. Once Chiesa was able to get that early takedown, I was already concerned for Dos Anjos uh, if he wasn't able to get up immediately. But yeah, man, we thought Dos Anjos was going to submit him. It was quite the opposite. Chiesa was able to get takedowns at will. And as a fellow southpaw, I think he was comfortable with Dos Anjos' stance, the fact that he's a much bigger man. And it worked out well for Kiesa. He got takedowns more evil, more easily than Colby Covington did. Like you're not kidding. He he, he looks huge. I don't know how he looked. I don't know how he made 155, but he looks monstrous. At least he did against uh, Dos Anjos. Do I? I mean, do I think he beats Damian Maya? You know, probably not. Stephen Thompson, probably not. It's going to be interesting. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I still. I don't. I don't think Michael Case is going to be able to beat the top five or six at welterweight, but man, he ran through RDA. He really did. You know what? He made a call out that is, in my opinion, ballsy, but also has its advantages. He called out Kobe Covington after the fight. And Why not? Did a mic drop. I think it's a good idea. I think that's part of what Connor did is he kind of chose his matchups, right? And he was willing to call out some of the bigger names at some point, um, but he called out specific guys. Right. And and I don't know, for some reason, Kiesa seems to think he has an advantage over Covington. It could be that Covington is coming off of his first loss in a while and that broken jaw. Maybe he thinks he can get the jump on him. But I would favor Covington in that one, and I think in a big way. Uh, both of these guys, I mean, Covington is a pressure wrestler. I don't see uh, him t- giving up takedowns to 
Kiesa here. So I'm not sure what's on Kiesa's mind, except that if he's going to lose, it might as well be to one of the best. And then he can say, I'm 3-1 and one in this division, and I can still you know, beat some really high-level guys. Worst case, right? And if he can pull off a win over Colby Covington, he fast-tracks himself into the title conversation. Yeah, I actually think that, that playing for the winner of Woodley Edwards is a smarter move um, for him. But, you know, he can give Covington a shot. Woodley's not a great matchup for him either. Woodley's got more power on the feet. He's not a little guy, although he's short compared to Kiesa. Kiesa could be interesting here. Um, I, I do think he's he needs to add more to his striking game. He hasn't really shown much improvement in that regard. But I think talking about him in the title conversation seriously, the only reason we're doing that is because he made that call out, which, again, many reasons why it was a smart move, if you ask me. The rest of the card... We had, you know, Arnold Allen looked pretty good. I mean, Nick Lentz is a tough out for anybody. Yeah, but Arnold Allen just dominated him. He just roughed him up, man. Yeah, Lentz, Lentz got some takedowns, did some damage. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't think he was, I didn't think he was an easy out. I mean, most people had it a pretty close fight. I thought Arnold, I thought Allen clearly won, but I thought the fight was pretty competitive. If I remember correctly, I thought I'd look, uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at MMA decisions as we speak, Nick. And according to this, yeah, it looks like judges had it. Most guys had it 30 27, and a few judges had a 29 28 for Allen. So, to your point, maybe Nick did uh, win more of that. I think it was the second round that I thought. I think it was the second round. Yeah, it was. It, uh, the, well, he got some takedowns in the first round. The second round was the Allen round because Allen uh, landed a really sweet combo that um, that, that put Lentz. his legs on, on uh, right. Elastic Street, yes, Elastic right. Avenue. That was the second round, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it was a hard fought. It was a hard fought victory. It was a clear. It was a clear victory. But it wasn't. It, he didn't. He didn't wash out lines. No, I guess less so than I thought. I'm looking at the scorecards now. There were a couple other fights that were pretty one sided. This was not one of them. Um, I do want to quickly talk about Angela Hill, who now coming off of two finishes over girls that are considered to be fairly tough, and Hannah Cyphers and Ariane Cornelosi. Yeah. And and before that, she was coming off of a very close fight with Yaunin. Yan, I believe is how you pronounce the Chinese fighter's name, um, who's now 11-1. and one. So Angela Hill really firing on all cylinders and I think really coming into her own. I think she's got the experience at this point and hasn't really taken an insane amount of damage throughout her career. And I know she's 34, but I, I think she's really coming into her own. I think she can compete in the bottom half of that top 10 range. Um, I'm not saying that she's going to win every one of those fights, but I think she's more than just a journey woman at this point in her career just judging on her last two performances. Yeah, I thought she, you know, I think that she had the stuff. She got, you know, once that once she got on top, she she fought like a finisher. Yeah. And um you know, she fought she's fought very she's fought with a lot of aggression in her last two fights and she has not gassed. Um I think she'll probably get a top 10 fighter for her next uh for her next bout to see if she can break in there. Who do you who do, who would you like to see her fight? It's Cynthia Calvillo who I think will be a rough matchup. Marina Rodriguez. Yeah, that's that's the one I, I think they should make. In my opinion, a, a, a clear win for Cabillo, I think, given the style matchup. I, I think Angela would do better against less experienced competition if they're grapplers at this point. And if they're not grapplers, then, well, then, then there's, there's always no There's no one up the rankings then, then. I feel that. Yeah, no, fair. Maybe a Felice Herrig matchup, which I think could be interesting. Tisha Torres, I'm not, I don't think they fought. Um, maybe, maybe she can get through that, that top 15 first. But also the UFC is probably not going to treat her like a prospect. They're going to give her some tough matchups uh, in between these uh, softer kind of matchups that they've given her recently. But she's fought some very high level of competition in the division. 
Yeah, she lost to T- she lost to Tisha Torres in her first UFC. Oh, she did. That was that was many years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was at um, UFC 188 Velasquez Verdum, which wow. I believe was um, at elevation. Yeah, that was sea. Le- that was not sea level Kane. No, that was it, elevation Kane. I don't know if we ever officially explained on the podcast why we call ourselves the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. And it is because of that reference to Sea Level Kane. And it's kind of weird because shortly after we called ourselves that, Kane Velasquez like fought one more time and then retired. But we're sticking to it, Nikolai. Yeah, well it's a it's a pun. We're it's we like we like uh we support Kane when he fights at sea level and <laughs> we consider our production a sea level podcast. Oh wow, that's ugh. <laughs> I don't know if we should. Well, we like to set expectations to low and then exceed them. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, Jamal Hill with a pretty good first and second round against Darko Stosic before Darko was able to get some clean takedowns against Hill. We've got Bevan Lewis with a boring win. Justin Keish, who you know was able to do very well against Lucy Pudilova. I think she's somebody that maybe we can look at against that top fifteen uh, in the near future. Montel Jackson dominated. Philippe Colaris uh, wasn't able to finish him, but man, minus 670 favorite. Definitely lived up to that by getting some 30-24 scorecards, if I remember correctly. Sarah McMahon dominated Landsberg. Brett Johns, man, Tony Gravely, that was such a great fight. Brett Johns uh, came on fairly strong early and probably got a couple more takedowns in that first round and, and scored with some strikes as well. Gravely scored some strikes and several takedowns in the second round. And in that third round, Brett Johns was able to take that back uh, like he did in the first round, and after pounding him for a bit, it seemed like Gravely kind of gave him that choke. Uh, it was a good fight to watch, and you know what? Brett Johns deserves more credit than I gave him. I expected Gravely to do well in this one. I think we both did. And then Herbert Burns, Gilbert Burns' brother, came in there, and he got a first-round knockout against Link Land, where everyone expecting Burns to be the purely grappler and Nate to be the guy with the advantage on the feet. Nate was just too wild and got caught by a counter knee from Gil, uh, Herbert Burns. Um, any thoughts on those matchups, Nikolai? Uh, I thought Burns, I thought Burns looked awesome. Uh, that was, you know, that was, that was a statement victory. And, uh, I think he'll probably get really good placement next time, but otherwise, no, I found, I wasn't, I, I, I had a hard, tough time getting into this card. I thought it was kind of lackluster matchmaking. I thought on paper it was pr- a pretty good card, and I think it partially lived up to that. There were a couple of boring fights, but I will say Gilbert, Herbert Burns called out someone that a lot of people are avoiding, someone that's been calling out some top fivers, Ryan Hall, who you know acts really disappointed that no top fivers want to fight him, even though he doesn't really have like any top wins, and they have nothing to gain by fighting him. I'm curious if he'll take this challenge from Herbert Burns, because he's they're now in reverse positions where... Ryan Hall is ranked, uh, you know, close to the top 15, if not in the top 15. And Herbert Burns is calling him out. Would would Ryan Hall take that lower-level fight and give this kid a chance like he wants these top fivers to? I'm very curious, given the style matchup there. It could be a very interesting grappling battle since Herbert Burns seems extremely high-level on the ground from the footage that I've seen. Uh, any interest in watching that matchup, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I I'll watch. I think that'd be really exciting, and I love I love Ryan Hall. Um, I think I've heard some other names. I can't remember exactly who, but I heard a big name thrown around for Ryan Hall recently, um, and I can't remember who it is. I'll have to Google around. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm curious if uh, if you want to look into that quickly. Uh, in the meantime, I did want to quickly talk about this Daniel Cormier Stipe Miocic situation. I think a lot of us expected the 
tiebreaker between these two to be coming up next and for that to be Daniel Cormier's retirement fight, win or lose. And it seems like Stipe's manager is kind of angling for something here. He spoke about how Stipe would prefer to fight someone that he has not beaten already in his next battle. Like who? I mean, it's interesting because it eliminates two of the biggest kind of dangers to Stipe's title reign, right? It eliminates Daniel Cormier and it eliminates Francis Ngannou, which, I mean, sweet move, Stipe Miocic's manager. If I had a fighter under me... It's posturing. Oh, yeah. you. Well, that's kind of the question I was going to ask you is, is it just for the sake of negotiating this Cormier fight or... Is it kind of a win-win where they're factoring in both uh, aspects? They probably don't want to fight Ngano yeah. if they don't have to, and I don't think they'd mind fighting uh, Cormier for their good money. So, what do you think? Do you it think has it's to just be the Cor- I mean, the Cormier fight is a rubber match in a, in a heavyweight trilogy, the most competitive heavyweight trilogy we've had, you know, potential for in a decade. Um, you know, the Kane Kane got washed out in the first fight, right against. Um, uh, Dos JBS, Santos, yeah. and then he and then I mean they were pretty, and then he just ran rough shot over like the next two. Um, and none of those fights were were particularly competitive. Like every round of that we've gotten from Cormier Miocic has been very interesting and competitive, and we've seen anything happen, or seen that anything can happen with Miocic doing you know quite well in the first round of the first fight, very even before getting knocked out, and then Cormier. Uh, running the first third or so uh, um, or maybe the first half of the second fight uh, before getting a little uh, too much hubris around his striking and, you know, getting bombed out uh, because Miocic wouldn't go away. So, like, that's that's dramatic and interesting. Ask me what happens in the third fight. Anything can happen. Um, I don't – like, sure, anything can happen if he fights in Ganu, but – Either you know, I mean, not really. <laughs> like one of two, like one of two things is going to happen. Either Stipe is going to dominate him with wrestling again, or Ngannou is going to knock him out probably quickly. Um, and you know, Rosenstrike may be interesting, but that's like a really dangerous fight too. Uh, I think the money and the legacies in the third Cormier fight. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there, but I I can't see the benefit of if they're not getting paid good money to face Cormier. Uh, why give him the opportunity to get that win over you and retire with the title? And if not fighting Cormier for the reason of not wanting to fight guys that you've already beaten also means you don't have to fight Ngannou. That's fucking best case scenario if you ask me. If, if you're Stipe Miocic's manager, uh, I guess is what I mean. But yeah, I mean, that really does leave Curtis Blades as the main contender if Jarzinho Rosenstruck is not able to pick up that win over Francis Ngannou. And I mean, Curtis Blades is a tough matchup for Stipe Miocic, but. I think he's an easier matchup than Francis Ngannou. I think Francis is somebody that everyone should be afraid of. He's probably going to hold that title for a little while unless there's just this major weakness in his game that we all have not realized yet. His power is just its out of this world, and his natural ability to counter anything that's thrown at him effectively, it's a dangerous combo along with his power. And I do wonder, like, if Curtis Blades wasn't able to consistently take him down before getting hit in the head, I don't know if anybody can at this point. But yeah, while we're here, man, yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna put ten dollars down on a double on the odds for a double knockout when Ngannou and Rosenstrike fight. Yeah, is that even? Unfortunately, it's never an option, but it freaking should be. Nick, it should be like a plus like a hundred thousand odds if you call a double. Now, knockout if it's gonna happen, happens. that's gonna be the fight. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Both these guys have insane power, and also, as far as we can tell, insane chins. 
So, man, I cannot imagine this fight going into the third round with both of these guys having landed a decent amount of strikes. I could possibly see it being kind of a lower pace fight where kind of similar to what Nganu did against Lewis and also similar to what Rosenstruck, uh, the way that he fought Alistair Overeem in his last fight outside of those last couple seconds where he landed that big right hand to end the fight. Uh, I feel like there's a chance that both of these men could be very cautious and this could end up being a complete snoozer. It's it's kind of a tricky one. Also, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Nganu at this point should have a lot more ground game experience. Might be a good opportunity for him to go for a double leg and uh, get a submission or TKO from up top. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really really looking forward to that fight. Uh, you're right. It could it could be a snoozer, but I'm I'm excited. Is it supposed to be a five round fight or or a three round? Do you know? I believe so. Five round fight. That's I mean, wow. It, it's got to be right. I I sure as heck hope so. Let's see. Um, UFC on ESPN eight. Yes, that yeah, is. A, yeah. Oh, I love that it's a main event, Nick. That's fan goddamn tastic. Also, quickly looking at that card, Rafael Sancio, oh Sancio, Cody Garbrandt, great matchup. Greg Hardy versus Jorgen De Castro. That's a great matchup, I think, for Greg Hardy. That's where he is in his career. And Jorgen so far has looked good. Roundtree and Alvier fighting. I guess that's fine. I believe that's Roundtree's retirement fight, isn't it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he said he would only compete one more time. He's a head case. You never know. He he might just keep fighting like nothing ever happened, whether he wins or loses. Uh, Amanda uh, Aspen Ladd versus Juliana Pena. That's real interesting. Yeah, that is fascinating if you ask me. Outside of that, I'm not seeing a whole lot of things to talk about on the card. One thing I wanted to quickly hit on, first of all, Chris Cyborg beat up Julia Budd to win her, I think, fourth Boy, she sure did. major title. I mean, this much she has Strike Force, she has UFC, Invicta, and now Bellator uh, Featherweight Championship. Chris Cyborg, you know, anyway, put her as a legend. She might not be the best female fighter on the planet anymore, but she's still firing on all cylinders, and she was able to defeat the actually two years older than her, Amanda Budd, who isn't very dynamic, but is an overall skilled, powerful uh, Julia, Julia Budd. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I call her? Amanda Budd. Amanda Budd, my bad. I think there is an Amanda Budd somewhere out there competing, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so really nice win by Cyborg in that case, man. Did you get to see it? Yeah, I did. And um, that's funny. That was Budd's first loss. Budd has a win over Jermaine Durandary. That was her first loss since losing to Rousey. Right. Way back when in 2011. Strike force. Um, although the you know the scalps that she's collected since then not not amazing. I mean Marlos Conan. That's a you know she's yeah. a especially she's several a years ago. She's a good fighter. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's a different class. Of early fighter. to Nunes, man. She had. I mean she's fun. Nunes, Rousey, like she's and now Cyborg. She can't. You know, no one can tell say that she hasn't been in there with the best, and she's 13 and three. Um, but. But she did lose to all know. three Listen, of the I don't want to suggest high level fighters she fought. Hmm? She did lose to all three of the top fighters that she fought, and by finish, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she went four rounds with Cyborg, and she did beat Conan, but um, in the, in the fourth round to win the title. Yeah. But um, I don't know if Bellator has is has Usada testing. I can't remember, no, but they don't. four rounds in, Cyborg. Cyborg was throwing video game combos at rapid speed. She looked like a mauler. I'm not saying that you know that she's on magic sauce. I just it it certainly occurred to me when I saw the speed with which she was landing, um, versus the um, how um, 
not that she looked bad in her her last couple of UFC fights, but she didn't look anything like she was like she was spamming Street Fighter moves like she did um, on Saturday. Maybe that's maybe that's because of the competition. Maybe it's because she's relieved to be out of the UFC. But she looked like a straight up killer, like like cyborg of you know six, seven, eight years ago. Well, I do think. I mean, you make a good point. I didn't even really kind of focus on what her body looked like if she looked any different physically, because that's often a sign. Uh, although that's not the only sign, certainly with guys like John Jones and Anderson Silva having multiple failures each. Um, the thing about Cyborg is that she's been fighting Felicia Spencer, who, in my opinion, legitimately is a super tough chick and has the mentality to be champion. Will she have the technique and training in her next few years? I'm not sure yet. But she, I do think she's mentally incredibly strong. She only had to fight Cyborg for three rounds, right? Not five. And Amanda Nunes, she kind of did throw a video game combo, which is exactly what got her knocked out. And then we had, you know, several goes before that, not counting Holly Holm, who were really scared of Cyborg. I think that Julia Budd had the right mentality going into the fight. I just think Cyborg broke her at some point, and Budd, you know, realized, look, there's no chance. I'm getting dominated for four rounds. I just took a shot. You know, it hurts. Let's let, let's call into this. And this is not one that I can blame Bud for. She was getting thrashed in there. And I do think there's something to be said for the fact that fighters are much less likely to get exhausted if they're completely dominating if there's really not very much effective resistance and i think that's something that even applied to bj penn back in the day is when guys were not really able to put up a fight he can go for five rounds it's when somebody would resist that he would get exhausted throughout his career i I felt like that was the case and chris cyborg you know she wasn't getting a whole lot of resistance after that first round and a half maybe uh she essentially was able to take over from there outside of like she threw a head kick and fell on her back and gave but a few moments on top. But yeah, it, it just seemed like Cyborg was in complete control. You make a fair point. She's somebody that's used it in the past, somebody that's willing to use it, right? What would stop her under these conditions where she can get away with it? Uh, I wouldn't be shocked, but this is also a lower level of competition. Yep. Uh, what else is going on in the world of mixed martial arts? So just like a weird piece of news here, Tiago Alves who, you know, I guess got released from his UFC contract after several losses really late in his career. Instead of joining like Bellator or PFL or any of these other MMA organizations, Nick, he went to BKFC, to Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. And I think that probably, I mean, does that allude to the fact that fighter pay is so low in the sport that BKFC is willing to pay for a name like Alves uh, because it'll get a decent amount of attention, that gimmick of of fighting Bare Knuckle? Because... I hate to see these older guys going into these kind of fights. These older guys who are not able to take the same shots as they used to have to now take just pure knuckle bone onto their scalps, onto their jaws. What do you think, man? I don't like it. Um, I mean, it felt the same, similar to Lobov, but Alves has been around. You know, he's been in the UFC something like eleven was in the UFC something like eleven years at least. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't need to see it, man. I don't need like. Enough, enough. Had I'd like to, I'd like to see him, you know, go back to being a ballroom dancer, or <laughs> as he, as he was, I think, before he, he started fighting professionally. Like I don't, the last thing I want to see is Tiago Alves get hit in the head more, particularly with less padding. I will say there are guys like Chris Lieben, and by the way, Tiago Alves is a guy that you know was known to have used. Well, I don't know if did he ever get popped. I think he did get popped for something. I'm not sure if it was steroids, but there was a time in his career when he was. body fat, incredibly jacked with veins all over his body where you wouldn't expect veins. And that was when he was at his best. That's when he was the top two or three welterweight in the UFC. 
So there's reason to believe that he's probably used performance enhancers in the past. And I can see him getting back on it in this case. I can also see like, you know, guys like Chris Lieben having success in BKFC. I mean, he, he's one and one there, but he got a first round knockout and then a decision loss to another fairly successful MMA fighter, Dakota, Dakota Cochran. So I, I don't know. It just seems like the competition to be fighting there would be so much lower than the UFC. And hopefully he's less likely to take some of those shots. But Imagine Thiago Alves without leg kicks, man. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I just I'd rather have him, you know, coach and do other stuff. I just don't I just don't need to see it. Again, but Lieben also took a, took a, some time off. You know, he took a lot of time off there, and he was always he was always a hands guy. But yeah, Alves without without kicks and knees is um, yeah. I don't it's, know. It's taking like away said, half his freaking to tool it. set. I I agree. It's 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 kind of weird to see this kind of news in MMA. On the one hand, you want fighters to make money. On the other hand. This is a shit way to do it, man. Um, or, you know what, maybe it is from our perspective alone, and maybe these guys don't take as much damage as we think they do. I, I don't fucking know. It just doesn't look good when some of these guys look completely just like different people at the end of these five-round uh, bare-knuckle fights. I will say, though, if you thought I'd let you get away without mentioning this, Nikolai, another win for your boy Stanislav. Yeah, man. I, um, I, you know, I tried to pick some underdogs. I thought Hannah Suffers would fare better. Um, okay, we were both wrong on Chiesa. Yes, sir. And um, was I ate? There was another one where I ate it, but I can't remember what it was right now. Um, but yeah, not not my best, not my best night of picks. I got Bevan Lewis. He won. He won by fighting the most boring fight ever. He did, and he's just an overall. Oh boring God, fighter. that was such a chore to watch. I agree. He, he's. I mean, at this point, it's just clear. Like all three of his UFC fights were boring, except for the moment where Uriah Hall was able to piece him up in the third round of their fight in his UFC debut. Yeah, that, that guy I'm not expecting anything major from. Um, I am curious to see who guys like Montel Jackson fight next. That one went as predicted. Sarah McMahon looked really good against Landsberg. I just feel like Sarah McMahon loses to fighters that have like some submission skills, and Landsberg is not known for it. And that's kind of what cost her right. in that one. That's another one that, that hurt you. I think you picked her fairly... Uh, maybe in the first half of our... Oh, yeah, that was one picks. that hurt me. Yeah, yeah. I, I picked... Yeah, I just... I, I, I thought that in her late thirties after having a kid and two years off away from UFC competition. Uh, I thought McMahon who I've always liked would be, uh, you know, depleted, would be depleted or, um, you know, not the fighter that she was. And I was wrong. She came in with a chip on her shoulder and steamrolled. Yeah. I think uh, training with Tim alpha male is doing a lot of good for her. And it does seem like she's in a very good place at this point in her career and her personal life. I'm not sure where she was a few years ago. Uh, when she was going to those fights, dominating the first round and losing in the second. But, you know, it, it does take, again, it does take a submission fighter to beat Sarah McMahon. She's won decisions before. So so we'll see how she fares against some of the more uh, ground-savvy opponents that she faces in the near future. Uh, Nick, another good one in the books. I do want to quickly mention that I've started a YouTube series in which I discuss some of the upcoming fights and breakdown matchups. I focused on Donald Cerrone versus Conor McGregor a couple of weeks ago and concluded, that based on some of the aspects of the style matchup, that uh, Conor McGregor would get a first-round knockout. And that's how it went, unfortunately. And then uh, for last week's card, I, I kind of uh, quickly broke down the entire card in, in a 10-minute clip. And uh, that's something I might do more regularly in future events. So if you guys have a chance, check it out. Uh, the name of the YouTube account is actually the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. So uh, pretty paired up with this. And hopefully we can get some of our episodes on YouTube sooner or later too, Nick. If we can get that recorder on, I think that might be interesting for folks to see what we look like and what we're about. Uh, I do want to quickly mention, guys, uh, if you get the opportunity, um, 
Tell us about your friends that are interested in MMA. If, if, if you like what we're doing here, uh, we'd love to spread the word and, and get more people to listen and give us a chance and, and see if they're into this shit. And uh, we're going to keep doing research for you guys and breaking down these cards and, uh, and doing our damnedest, Nikolai. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you know, if you like Stan in the video, but you want more dancing, make sure to put that in the comments. Would, do you think I, I would be down to dance for the folks, Nikolai? Like, do you and I, I would you take like a ballroom class with me? Could no. we? No, no, I am. I am strictly support. So would you come to the ballroom class practices? Nope. And, nope. It's but, all about this isn't ballroom, dude. You need to be. What kind of dancing did you have shit. in mind? I, I'll send you some links. All right, I look forward to just nothing on a pole, please. No. Good. Same page. Nikolai, a good one of the books. Looking forward to breaking down uh, next week's UFC with you. This is a John Bones card. Jones. Right. John Jones versus, uh, versus Reyes. This could be it. This, this could be the end of the Jones era. I, a decade I, of Jones. I legitimately think there's a chance uh, in this matchup. I really do. I want to watch tape on this. I haven't had the chance to yet, but I do want to watch tape to make my decision here. But I think Dominic Reyes has a better chance against John Jones than most of the people in that top 10. And there's a lot of people who really think that Tiago Santos deserved that decision that he lost to, to John Jones, a split decision in John Jones' last fight. John Jones doesn't perform like he used to. Um, he's winning close decisions against otherwise fighters that are not necessarily known as elite. And Dominic is, it, yeah, is he is, doing it because he's playing games and he's like, oh, I'm going to, I want to kick, I'm going to Muay Thai fight the Muay Thai fighter. Like, I want to hand fight the hand fighter. I mean, that's, that has been his MO and sometimes he dominates guys when he goes into there. He always seems obsessed with beating fighters at their own game. Yeah, but and, uh, if you're going into the fifth round of a fight with Tiago Santos, of all people, and it's extremely close and could have gone either way thus far, um, why not take him down if you could just finish him and do that? Because pride, because he's playing a crazy game. I don't, I don't know, but we we don't know the answer to this. We don't know if Jones could have done that and chose not to, um, or not. But the fact, the fact is, as far as we can see, like Dominic Dominic Reyes doesn't seem like he's got a whole lot of weaknesses. Um, so there may not be. Um, when you're like, oh, I want to beat him in his game, his game seems completely well-rounded and fully evolved and powerful. So we'll see. He's, he might be running up against a younger, stronger guy. Yeah, I would not be surprised. And, and I will say, if it's Jones's pride that is making him go to very close decisions or lackluster ho-hum decisions with fighters that have been considered very kind of mid-level at different at lower weight divisions, then it's his pride that will cost him a win sooner or later. And it could very well be against Dominic McCrae. So I look forward to watching tape on that, breaking it down in my head, and then presenting it to you guys, uh, Nick. Until next week, buddy, this has been uh, another episode of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast.